0: another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. Joining me today is a returning guest to Live On Purpose Radio. And you you guys know I don't have a lot of returning guests, but there are some who, if they reach out to me or if I know that they're doing something new, they're coming back on the show because once we had our first interview, I think today's guest, James Garrett, continued to move forward and learn stuff. James is an enthusiast about the brain. And this is something that brought us together in the first place. In our previous conversation, we talked about brain-friendly practices. Uh, James, you've spent uh, the bulk of your career so far studying and learning about and sharing and coaching people about the brain and how it works. And you've come to a place where you've understood this concept of habits, uh, a little deeper than most people ever even think about it so welcome to live up welcome back james to live on purpose radio thank you thank you grateful to be here James give us a little background about how you've come to know what you know at this point about habits and then I want to, to pick your brain a little bit about this
1: um yeah so so you're right I've spent the ba- le- the bath past a about 20 years, um, uh, unpacking, uh, in general, that's my, my love affair with psychology Uh and then brain science has been in the last couple of decades. Um, and, um, the, the thing that I think, so so I spent just by way of background, I spent about most of my twenties in in research labs, uh, doing science, um, in New York and Boston primarily. And then, um, um, and it worked with some really great psychologists. So Walter Michelle of the marshmallow studies, you know, delay of mm-hmm. gratification with the kids I worked with Walter and I worked at the Yale emotional intelligence center for some time and um, worked with Nani Ambadi, who was um, the Malcolm Gladwell's book blink is mm-hmm. based on, a lot on her research. So, um, so, so I learned from all these really scientists myself, but then spent six years abroad in the middle East um, building brain-based curricula. So I was planning on continuing to go that academic road. Um, but um, our life paths, my wife and I's life paths um, sort of took this interesting turn and, um, and, and built these b- brain-based um really positive psychology curricula, yeah. um, teaching critical thinking, creativity, innovation, et cetera. And so that that got me deeply invested and interested in science communication in, in being sort of a bridge between academia and and where my, my real passion is getting science out of the labs and into people's lives. So, and then since we got back from 2015, I built what I've built now, which is courses and content and, and ways to make the science relevant and applicable and easy to use in your life.
0: Mm -hmm. You've, you just shared with me some things that I had forgotten about all that heavy academic background that you had. And I, I know this about you, James, you've gotten into the science part of this in a way that, that most people haven't. But I think one of the gifts mm. that you bring to the table here is just like you said, making that that bridge between kind of the lab coat and the everyday mm. person out there on the street who needs to know what we've learned in the labs, and that's the bridge for you, right? Well, awesome.
1: it's it's the scientists have the a sort of world unto themselves that it's, it's a bit of a technical language they speak and, 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 and and it's amazing and it's brilliant, but, but it often won't translate into kind of everyday speak and everyday. It's not just language. It's also sort of lived experiments utilizing and practically applying the science. So for example, in 2019, I was doing something called the deep change project where I've, I've really been trying to Use myself as a human guinea pig, an n of one, a, 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 uh-huh. an experiment on myself, uh-huh. to 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 really see how far you can push the science of neuroplasticity. I call, you know, some people call it brain hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what does it look like, right, to to expand your potential, and what are some of the limits of that? And so. Uh, Or what are some of the possibilities is more what I'm looking at. Um, And and, and I think this opens up a new way to think about the science. The science is interesting, but it's much more interesting when it's applied to your own life.
0: Yes, for sure. And one of the things that you've been looking into more deeply, even since we talked last, is this idea of habit. So walk us into that for a minute, James. I think there's a lot of ways that we traditionally think about habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be some more helpful ways that we can think about it that would actually serve us better in our lives. Um, start us off on that.
1: Yeah. So Gretchen Rubin, very famous science writer, said habits are the invisible architecture of our lives, of our everyday life. hmm Uh, And and Wendy Wood's research at USC has shown that 43% of our behavior every day comes from a place of habit. So, 43% of what you do in a day comes from this automated, unthinking, no decision necessary kind of place. Right. um, Which is what we mean by habit. And so, um, that's a lot of behavior. That's a lot of your day. (laughs) And so, if you can get in the driver's seat, in the um, at the steering wheel of that habit-forming process, you really can point your life in a particular direction and really achieve some of the outcomes you really want. Uh, you know, we, we often, again, because it's New Year's resolution time, where a lot of people are thinking about this, and of course, 2021, we want to be better than 2020. Mm. And, and so a lot of people have this top of mind right now. Um, but what does it mean to successfully Implement habits as opposed to just dream about them, you know, and and hope for the or wish what scientists call wishful thinking. Um, There's there's very clear and concrete strategies that make it much more likely that you'll actually succeed at implementing these behaviors.
0: I get this all the time in my practice, James, you've probably run into this as you've done some coaching and educating on, on your end. And that is the people, the most common lament that I hear, I'll put it this way. Why do Mm -hmm. I do what I do when I know what I know? Mm -hmm. And it's because of their habits. And I I hear people all the time who say, I just need more self-discipline. I, I love the way that uh, one of my coaches, Dan Sullivan, put it this way. He said, look, it's not about discipline. Mm. You are already 100% disciplined to your current set of habits. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so it's about creating those new habits. And once those habits are in place, it's not an issue anymore because you just do it, as you said, automatically. You don't have to think about it. It just becomes, well, habit.
1: Yeah, Roy Baumeister's research has shown that the people with the strongest willpower use it the least, which was a surprising finding. Um, and, and the reason they've come to believe is that people with you know, deep reservoirs of self-control, what they employ that willpower of self-control for is to build systems and habits and routines and rhythms that do all the heavy lifting for them. So mm-hmm. so it really isn't about willpower in the end. It it is it, it willpower plays a role in the habit forming process, but it, it isn't the thing that sustains you over time. It actually isn't about more discipline. It's about better systems and, and and different ways of thinking about the habits. Think of it this way, your brain's gonna your brain has this sort of habit-making machinery. Your brain will make habits with or without your permission. Right. Um It won't ask you if, and your brain doesn't actually care if it's a good habit or a bad habit. Your (laughs) brain is sort of habit agnostic. Okay, (laughs) Um, So so in that sense, um, and and the reason, the primary reason is because brains love to conserve energy.
0: Yeah. Efficiency.
1: Their, Their primary role within the whole body system is conserve, conserve, conserve energy. And so your brain's a bit of an energy scrooge right it has has lots of it lots of motivation lots of energy but it just doesn't want to spend it and so that presents a real problem um or, or, or sorry the reason that that it presents, prevents a real, a real problem with forming new behaviors because there's a lot of energy expenditure in the beginning right. of a new behavior but over time that energy expenditure goes almost to to almost nothing but the um but the uh, there, there's a sort of uh, you have to convince the brain that it's worth that energy expenditure up front, knowing that later on it will it will again go to almost nothing in terms of how hard like people who exercise regularly, run every morning, for example. I have a friend in California who's a trail runner, and and uh, she I literally will ask her, you know, what what um, you know, is it hard for you to to do what you do every day? And and she literally feels like and believes that it's actually harder not to do what she does every day um, because it's become that automated. Mm
0: -hmm. You've pointed out one of the hurdles I think that is important to understand that there's an initial energy demand as we establish a new habit that your brain will naturally resist but once those habits are established, that's the preferred direction that your brain will want to go. Did I get that correct? Exactly correct. Mm-hmm. So you've got some steps. I don't know. Do we call them steps, James? Where yeah, steps or
1: principles? I think I'm maybe a little bit more like principles.
0: More, and I like principles that will allow us to overcome some of that natural resistance that we're going to feel, some simple things that could be employed immediately toward establishing some new habits. Take us through that. Walk us through what kinds of principles are necessary to understand or apply as we want to establish a new habit.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest mistake people make when it comes to forming new habits, especially in in January, when they're thinking about New Year's resolutions, is they make it too hard. So there's something called the law of least effort. And the law of least effort, what it says essentially in terms of how brains work, and the law of least, least effort says that if the brain has two choices, and one is a little bit easier, and one is a little bit more difficult, it'll almost always choose the easier choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again, back to this energy principle, brains, brains aren't as cons, brains, don't <laughs> brains care more about keeping you alive than they care about making you happy.
0: That's true. Or avoiding pain more than seeking pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so the, the
1: happiness and health promoting goals and, and, and aspirations that we all have, your brain is, you know, it wouldn't mind those things it's this, it just have to know that there's a default operating principle in your brain. Um, A lot of times people will say, well, does that mean we're all just lazy? Well, I don't think of it quite like that. I mean, you could say it that way, I suppose, but it's more like, no, the brains are energy efficient. They're they're just energy efficient. And so they want to conserve that energy. So how do you make it easy? Well, um, I think the best example in the research of the, around this is Professor B.J. Fogg at Stanford's research around tiny habits. And, uh, and what he's found is that if you shrink the level of difficulty of any behavior, and that could be, okay, so I want to run for 20 minutes a morning, but I'm going to start out with five minutes a morning. Or, you know, I, you know, whatever, whatever difficulty, usually amount of time or 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 whatever, you know. Inevitably, you're going to start stop feeling the resistance toward doing that behavior. Um, you won't need that much motivation, and you're probably still going to follow through on the behavior. Whereas, if you have this huge goal of working out for an hour a day at the gym, um, that while noble and 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 praiseworthy, it, it you need tons of hike every single day in order to, to consistently get over that threshold and do that behavior. Right. That's a problem when it comes to behavior change because your energy is up and down like a roller coaster.
0: We've got a couple of other principles that we can discuss as we get back from this first break. Hopefully, you're already gaining some information that's going to immediately improve your life. We've got James Garrett today at Live on Purpose Radio, and we'll be right back. drpauljenkins.com. And we're back. James Garrett at Live On Purpose Radio again today. And thank you for returning, James. This has been fun to catch up with you. And I love the direction this is going as we're talking about habits. Just before the break, you shared with us a principle that will make this more brain-friendly and that is to make it easy, shrink it. Uh, you mentioned BJ Fogg and the tiny habits and, and how let's just let's start smaller and that's going to allow us to establish the habit.
1: Yeah, what you want to do is create momentum. And momentum comes from consistency.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what gets us demoralized is inconsistency. What makes you, what actually grows when you're very consistent and consistently hitting a behavior, what grows is your confidence that you can do this again and again and again. And so that confidence comes from consistency and the consistency comes from, um, well, there's different levers you can pull here, but one of the easiest ones is to shrink the level of difficulties and, and focus on consistency. And then, it doesn't mean the habit always has to stay that small. You can incrementally start growing the scale or level of that difficulty over time. Um, right. But, but it, it's like a backdoor into a fully formed habit uh, that starts and focuses relentlessly on consistency and then, and then builds into this more robust and, and beautiful and for, fully formed habit. Um, it's momentum and motive. You, you want to create a sense of inevitability or momentum uh, on the habit and not worry too much about the size. Basically think of this brain, but they don't really care how big the goal is. Basically brains care if you hit the goal or didn't, they're more attuned to that than they are to the size of the goal.
0: Mm.
1: So, so if the goal is small, so, so think of it this way, like when people have a goal, which which isn't necessarily the best structured goal, but but when people have an outcome goal, like losing 20 pounds say, and they lose 15 in after, you know, months of mm-hmm. exercise and eating and whatever, um, they're gonna be disappointed at not hitting the goal. Yeah. Now that's bizarre because they should right. be thrilled because they lost 15 pounds. Objectively, that's an that's a major win. But, but they're gonna be disappointed uh, because this, they didn't hit the goal, right? Whereas if they had set a goal of losing five pounds and then lost 15, they would have been thrilled out of their heads, right? <laughs> uh, out of their minds. So, so, so it, it's a matter of playing your motivational system just right, such that you create that m- and momentum and then that fuels that kind of excitement, motivation and energy to do it the next day. And right. then again, over time, you can slowly build that. The, ne- the only other thing I would say about make it easy, which I think is equally important, is you want to reduce friction. Um, friction is anything that's any step you have to take between now and getting to the behavior you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Anything that gets in the way. So getting your clothes on to go for the run, the clothes, getting dressed is the friction. Right. Um, phones end up being a very strong form of friction. So if, you're, if you have a morning exercise routine, but you, you, know, you charge your phone in the bathroom and you go to the bathroom and you just check your email and you just hop on social media really quick before you, you know, that, what that'll do over time is it'll, it'll interrupt It's just something that's wedged between you and getting out the door. So for example, I've reduced the friction on my phone where I I charge the phone in the laundry room now. So that's Uh. increasing friction for some object in my environment that gets in the way of my morning routine. I don't see it, so it doesn't trigger me to pick it up. And I've decreased the friction for the clothes, which is I now sleep in my exercise clothes.
0: Ah, uh, then you're already dressed. There you go. I'm
1: already dressed. I know people, every time I say that, people look at me like I'm crazy. I used to just set them out on the nightstand, but I, it, I wanted to reduce the friction even more, which is one form of reducing friction. But wearing them, I'm just I literally just put my shoes on and walk out the door and then grab the phone on the way out. <laughs>
0: So your, your wife doesn't have a problem with running shoes in the bed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one thing. The shoes and socks okay, are the one little clothing. Yeah, there's a little friction. Yeah, the, right. the little friction. Uh, I, I try not to be too unreasonable about my habits. but I love but this. That's you, right.
0: This is so practical. Make it easier. Reduce or shrink the difficulty. Re, remove the friction. That alone is going to be enough to, to get past some of the humps. But I know you've got a couple of other suggestions for us based on principle today. What's the next one?
1: Yeah, the second thing is make it obvious. So you want to outsource the decision-making to the environment and make the environment the thing that cues you or triggers you or prompts you to do the behavior. Um, so So again, the clothes... Uh, when I had them set out outside on my nightstand, they were the cue or the trigger to to do the exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, um, e, uh, an, another way uh, of thinking about this, so there's lots of triggers you can use. You can use post-it notes, you can post-it notes, you can use alarms, these types of things. Um, I tend to find that physical objects tend to be the best. So if you have something like, um, you know, a small stone. Um, something that is uh, a physical object. Brains are symbolic; they, they work in the physical world. So, anything you can set out that you've come—you literally come to associate with a certain behavior—that and that object acts as a prompt or a cue. So, so if you want to start meditating every day, if you have a meditation, um, again, rock or stone, something physical, it can be anything really. Um, and you put that in a place where you know you're gonna see it every day, like in the, on the kitchen counter, or in the, in the bathroom, by the bathroom mirror, or, or on top of the toilet lid, which you know you're gonna use, um, uh, it, it, you know, you're forcing yourself to see that object right? Uh, I, for example, one of my habits of journaling, I put the journal on my pillow with the pen. I don't put it on the nightstand. I put it on the pillow because I cannot lay down on my pillow and, and, and not hit the you gratitude can't journal. can't miss that. I can't miss it. So you want to make this, this is what we mean by obvious, like smack you in the face kind of obvious, right?
0: Sometimes literally um,
1: smack you in the l- face. Literally face. with the journal, the gratitude journal smacks me in the face every night. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, so, so triggers can be external triggers in the environment, which is one of the ways to get it out of willpower and into the environment, you're outsourcing decision-making to your environment. Another way to do this is an internal trigger, which is something scientists call if-then plans. So Peter Goldwitzer's research at NYU has shown that if you structure a new behavior as an if-then, um, you're... Well, the, the statistics, the original research showed that you will go from, you know, we all have good intentions, right? right. And good intentions, the research has shown, will follow through on those about 33% of the time. Um, if you set it up as an if-then plan, you'll follow through about 75% of the time. Now, that's a massive leap in terms of the likelihood of you actually doing a behavior. Right. More than double. More than double. Uh, and so... What does an if then look like? It's if blank, then blank. So if um, my feet hit the floor in the morning, then I will go for my morning walk. Or or sometimes BJ Fogg actually modifies this a little bit. So after my feet hit the floor in the morning, then I'll go for my morning walk. After I drop my kid off at the bus, then I will sit in my car and do my 10 minute meditation with my Headspace app. Mm -hmm. Um, After I... um, Uh, brush my teeth, then I'll write three things I'm grateful for in my gratitude journal. And and the more specific the trigger, the more likely the brain is to take the next step. So after I put my toothbrush in the toothbrush holder is better than after I brush my teeth. Because then the brain sees that behavior. It's come to expect that specific behavior. And then brains love knowing what's coming next. You've already pre-programmed what's coming next. And so it's you preloaded the decision beforehand. And then when it comes time, when you do that behavior, that next behavior just automatically follows. And that's what you want.
0: Right. I, I love this idea of outsourcing Because either you're going to carry it in your mind, which you're not very capable of carrying a lot of things in your mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The old myth of multitasking. I mean, we could get into that, but basically Mm -hmm. your mind wants to offload everything that it can. Efficiency, as we talked about earlier. And so delegating that to the environment takes it off of your mind and puts it into a system where you don't have to think about it or worry about it. Trust yourself to follow the triggers once they come in. I love that. And
1: and, the, and as speaking of systems, the last thing I'll say, which is critical, is you want to track the behavior. What mm-hmm. you what you'll what you monitor you or what you manage you um you'll actually do or what you monitor you'll actually do. Mm-hmm. So, print a blank calendar, little Google blank calendar, print it out, and then whatever new behavior you're working on or a couple behaviors each day, put an X on that day when you do the behavior or if you wanted to do a couple behaviors divide the day into two two boxes sometimes three boxes depending on your system um but an x for you know new habit uh, habit for each box and then put an x on that day that's going to create proof for your brain that you're succeeding if you don't have that evidence in front of you every day that you're actually doing it you won't build that self, what psychologists call self-efficacy or confidence
0: that you're getting good at this thing. Right. And it's the confidence that will help to carry you through. I'm taking some notes here, James. Make it easy. Make it, it easy. obvious. Yep. You got one more for us?
1: Make it non-negotiable. <sighs> oh boy.
0: Really? What do you mean?
1: So one of the things that they call these forcing functions you want to gently lovingly and benignly force yourself to do it <laughs> um one of the ways that i i think about this is um because again the brain will take the easier option what is the easier option in general to not do the habit the new behavior that's the that's by default so you, it's easier gotta, not to. it's easier to not do it or do the old habit right so so for to, so one of the best ways to do this is to use, utilize other people. So we all know that when we work out with somebody else, um, we tend to follow through. If somebody shows up at your house at 7 a.m. to go to the gym, obviously with coronavirus this is a little bit different, but you can do this via Zoom or other ways. Um, uh, if, you, if somebody's like, if you're expected, you don't wanna let that person down. So that's a right. way to put teeth in the commitment to link your behavior with somebody else and then utilize that relationship and the sense social sensitivity we have to, to basically force yourself to show up every day and do that new behavior. Um, so that would be an example of how to make that non-negotiable. Um, basically, I, I mean, to, to be clear, this, the research has shown that if you miss a day here or there, it's not gonna break the habit. Right. That said, <laughs> It's a, it's a slippery slope and it happens pretty quickly. Uh, you want to make sure that, you know, one day's a blip, two days is a pattern. <laughs> think about it like this. This is James Clear, uh, sort of says it like this. I think it's very smart. One day is a blip, two days is a pattern. So we all mess up. We all have bad days. But But you want to basically set it up such that you think of this as sacrosanct. Meaning this is the, your new behavior is the primary priority in your life right now. And you do everything you, you move heaven and earth to make sure that that thing happens every day, especially in those first 66 days is how, how long a habit takes to form.
0: You'll hear different numbers about that, but the, the point here is that it, it does require consistency repeat. You said earlier, James, that your brain doesn't care if it's a good habit or a bad habit. Basically, what your brain's looking for is two things, meaning and repetition. And anything that's meaningful and repeated, your brain is going to create what we call a neural pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like a programming circuit that establishes the habit. And so don't be surprised, folks, when you jump into this and you see, Oh, this is a lot of work. Well, yeah, that's why people resist it in the first place. That's why we're going to make it easy, make it obvious, and make it non negotiable. As we do those three things, we can establish new habits. James, you rocked it again. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Thank for you. coming and competing today at Live On Purpose Radio. Where can people connect with, with you, the work that you're doing, or uh, to connect with you if they want to following this episode?
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, so brainbydesign.com. Brain, B-R-A-I-N, dot
0: Brainbydesign.com.
1: Um, and right now um, I'm running a special on my habits course um, for listeners of, of live on purpose podcast. So you can get 15% off on my habits by design course, which is the course and a weekly masterclass that can, is continuing um, that starts um, it, it, on January 19th, um, But the masterclass is always ongoing. So you can actually enroll at any time if you miss that 19th deadline. Um, But that 15% discount is just live on purpose. So if you type in as you're checking out, just live on purpose, all one word, um, that'll give you 15% off.
0: Thank you for that. We always love discounts. That's fun. James, you've contributed some really valuable stuff. Folks, if you uh, want to really take seriously what you've heard here today, and why wouldn't you? Let's establish some new habits. James's course uh, you can find that at brainbydesign.com. You get 15% off when you type in the code live on purpose" at checkout. And thank you for that as well. You're welcome. Folks, you've heard it. It's time to apply it. Let's all go live on purpose.